Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, do you know how the, the Romans would cut their pizzas? How? With little Caesars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... Happy pizza, Miss John. I'm very vulnerable right now to bad jokes. I'm taking my laughs where I can get them. It's been a little bit of a challenging week here at the Green Household. And that is also a top-notch joke. <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad to have some pizza jokes for you. It is indeed pizza in our community, which means that it's a two-week period where Hank and I make videos back and forth to each other on our YouTube channel, Vlogbrothers, every day, just like it was 2007 again. And we raise money for charity by selling a variety of different items featuring my uh, face with a mustache. In fact, Hank, as I am making this podcast, I don't know if you can hear it, <laughs> but I still have my annual pizza in this mustache. I don't know if it's affecting my intonation at all, I, yeah. but it's there. I remember the conversation with you when you were like, oh God, pizza is coming up. I have to decide if I'm going to do the mustache. Yeah. And then I, I seem to like, have put it in my mind that you weren't going to do it and that that's why you didn't have, weren't like growing out a beard, which you have to do in order to get the mustache. But then, like, suddenly it was there. It just arrived. Yeah. Well, at this point, I, I don't want to brag, but I've reached an, a, a level of maturity where I know how many weeks of mm. beard I need to have a really horrifying mustache. Yeah. So if you go too long, the mustache actually looks pretty good. <laughs> and if you don't go long enough, the mustache doesn't look like much at all. <laughs> right. But if you're going to get to that worst possible mustache mustache yeah. that I, I'm relying on for pizza mist, right. I know exactly how many days of beard I need. And I don't want to brag, but I think I crushed it this year. You can go to youtube.com slash vlogbrothers to see for yourself. But I think you got the perfect. I think I hit it out of the park. Yeah. What I've never seen, John, and what I want to see is is you with the like the full year mustache, like the kind of mustache yeah. where like the, the mustache hairs on the top 
have to like sit on the mustache hairs in the bottom. So there's like an inch mm-hmm. of like it's just going out before it gets to the end of the mustache. Yeah. That's what I want to see on your face. And I don't think that's ever going to happen. No. Because like you don't get one of those mustaches without a lot of commitment. Yeah. Well, also, it would be really bad for my marriage. <laughs> And, and also and, eating food, be heart bad for that. And potentially for my relationship with my children. Last night I was reading Alice a book and I said, on a scale of one to 10, Alice, what do you think of the mustache? And she said, I guess a three. And then she paused and said, well, really a two, but I don't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, I'm excited uh, for... For Pizza Miss, uh, and I, we are in the in the midst of it now, and uh, and this is the last episode of Dear Hank and John that will remind you that you can go get stuff at pizzamiss.com, but which is our new Pizza Miss website. And if you uh, if you wait until next Monday when the next episode comes out, pizzamiss.com will be closed. It'll be over. This is a two week experience, and then it ends. And you can never ever get any of the amazing. 2020 pizza miss stuff ever again in your entire life, including the ridiculous and terrifying pizza miss 2020 mask. <laughs> God. All right, John. Here is a question from Molly who asks, Dear Hank and John, why does fire have such a specific shape? When you make a fire, it almost looks like a leaf or as if it's climbing. Why is it like that? I'm staring at a fire right now and I can't stop thinking about it. Please help. Like the country, Molly. What? Like what? Is there a country called Mali? Yeah, the one in West Africa. It's spelled differently. Oh, I see. Yes, there is. Yeah. John, looking at a fire is one of my favorite things, and it is remarkable for how long you can do it. Yeah. So one of my all-time favorite books, Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, has in it a drug that causes you to want to Mm. do nothing other than to stare into the flames of fire, Mm -hmm. which does seem really just realistic to me because Mm. every time I stare into a fire, I think I do not get tired of doing this ever, which is weird Uh because I get tired of every other form of staring in the natural world. (laughs) And secondly, I think this is like the oldest form of human entertainment. (laughs) Just looking into the fire. Yeah. Yeah. We've been doing this for so long that like I think it's deep. I think it's deep down that I like looking at flames. Mm-hmm. It does make me wonder if like, if I did it every day, would I eventually be like, ugh, another fire? But, but I don't know, maybe not. It's really cool. That's always different. It looks very interesting. Yeah, it's always changing. But why does it appear to sort of lick up into the sky or to have that sort of leaf structure. Is there yeah. a chemical reason? Uh, there, It's a physical reason. So it's basically a reverse teardrop. So like the, the the fire is going up and as it goes up, the convection currents like sort of push the heat into a narrower, narrower and narrower uh, band. Mm. And of course, this is because fire is made of gas, not liquid. It's much less uniform than if it were, than, than like a teardrop is or a, a raindrop in that like very specific raindrop shape. Um, but it's basically that, but like much more dynamic because it's a gas and convection currents are very stochastic, very random. So, uh, which is why fire never looks the same ever. You look at it once, you'll never see it look that way again, which is great. But there's lots of air moving around and there's the certain air that is very hot wants to get up. So you're seeing the air currents that are created by the heat of fire. 
That's really cool. That Now it's going to be even more fun for me to look into a fire. All right. This next question comes from Elise, who writes, Dear John and Hank, obviously none of us are going out to Halloween parties this year. Right, everybody? Right, everybody? <laughs> nice work there, Elise. <laughs> but I work at a library which will be open on that spookiest of holidays, and it's typical for staff working to dress up. I need to be wearing a mask while in my costume, obviously, but I feel like just a rubber party city mask is probably not going to do the job. (laughs) Now, dressing up as a doctor or a nurse could be in poor taste, or maybe not. I don't really know. It's just sort of (laughs) bleak, though. What's a fun, creative costume I can incorporate a mask into so that I'm not just a cartoon character who Mm. happens to also be wearing a mask? I'm kind of low on ideas, and I need something fun. When you rent an apartment, you sign... Elise. Nice. (laughs) Well, so first of all, I think that it's fine to be like, I'm going to be Ted Theodore Logan of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but during the pandemic, and and so Ted is wearing a mask. Exactly. Like, Ted would wear a mask. Yeah. Because Ted wants people to be awesome to each other. So I'm dressed up as the dude in Big Lebowski, and just as the dude would in 2020, (laughs) I'm wearing a mask. So I think that that's fine. I think that there will be lots of Halloween costumes that incorporate masks intentionally and lots that are just like, look, I I am Bart Simpson, but masked. Yeah. Or you could go with another hyper contemporary costume, Elise, like um, Tiffany, who's saying, I think we're alone now. (laughs) But masked. That's a joke. That's a joke just for Hank. Nobody who listens to this podcast (laughs) remembers that song except for Hank. I I love that song. It was my first. That was the first vinyl record I bought with my own money was Tiffany's Mm -hmm. album. I desperately wish I still had it. Like, how come I held on to all this stuff from childhood, but not Tiffany's (laughs) Tiffany's <laughs> classic, I think we're alone now cover. Oh, God. Who else? Uh, I mean, so there are some like plenty of uh, heroes who wear masks. Yeah. You could have uh, all the people from the Watchmen television show mm-hmm. wore masks. Mm-hmm. There's that going on. And, and also, you can wear things that have masks, but then wear a mask under the mask, and then no mm-hmm. one will see the mask because you'll be like, you know, Richard Nixon or whatever, like the those terrible rubbery masks that people put on over their heads. That reminds me that a friend of mine has a kid who told them, I want to dress up like uh, like one of those um, bird people. And the friend was like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> like, like where you have a big crow head. And oh. the friend was like, you want to dress up like a plague doctor? <laughs> and the, the kid was like, is that what they're called? <laughs> Yeah, Plague Doctor works. Yowzers. Yeah. Yeah, so go, you know what? That's it. We did it, Elise. Go as a Plague Doctor. It's not appropriate for nine-year-olds, but you're going to crush it out there as a Plague Doctor. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of Plague Doctors this year, John. I I mean, as long as they're celebrating in a safe and socially distanced way. Oh, Lord. That's great. The other thing I'll say, Elise, is that I've just gone to a website where there are a bunch of masks that you can buy that are super weird and festive and could incorporate easily into Halloween costumes. There's sequined masks and there's studded masks. There's Burberry masks and Jack Skellington masks. And so you can you can build your costume around your mask. That's great. Or just wear a mask and be like, that's my costume. I didn't want to work hard. All right, Johnny, here's another question. This one's from Caroline who asks, Dear Hank and John, why do dumpsters all smell the same even though they all have different stuff in them? Some dumpsters can smell worse than others, but all generally smell the same to me. Is there some explanation? (laughs) Pumpkins and Penguins, Caroline. I never knew that. 
until it was pointed out to me, but it's so true. There is From a dumpster smell. Garbage can to like the largest dumpster I've ever been near. They all have the same smell. They have a, there is a smell that is dumpster, which is interesting. Yeah. I would not say that all dumpsters smell the same. Having been a person who spent a fair amount of time around them. I Hank used to rescue electronics and textbooks and repurpose them and sell them on eBay. It was part of the business that we here at Dear Hank and John know best for the part of the business where he stole all of my baseball cards <laughs> and sold them on eBay. So I did not find those in a dumpster. Um, nope. But yeah, like you like, found them inside of okay. individually we got we got packaged, it. laminated. <laughs> Because they were all in mint condition, including well, the entire starting so lineup of the 1986 Chicago Look, Cubs. John, what were we really, talking about? You really got me started on my business career, and I appreciate it. I, that's the kind of well, that's the kind of assistance that big brothers do, and that little brothers appreciate for their whole lives. So thank mm-hmm. you. You're welcome. <laughs> there, see. You're welcome. All right. So there are so there are certainly dumpsters that don't smell bad at all. Like office building dumpsters don't tend to have much of a smell. And then like a sushi place's dumpster is going to smell terrible. And I actually found a Reddit thread from a garbage person who talks about all the different smells of different kinds of dumpsters and that, you know, restaurant dumpsters tend to have stronger smells than, you know, the, your average dumpster. But I think there is something to the dumpster smell. And here's what I think the dumpster smell is. I think the dumpster smell is a lot of food that's a little bit old. So like that smell. Mm -hmm. And and add on to that a little bit of food that's very old. Right. Which is just the stuff that's like stuck to the bottom. It's the cake, the stuff that's caked. Yeah, it doesn't come out. To the various walls. Yeah. Right. When it gets dumped. So I think it's mostly that smell, actually, Mm. because for reasons we don't need to get into the exact details of, I once had a about a third of a Big Mac um, underneath my bed for about nine months, Uh and it smelled similarly. (laughs) It smelled like a dumpster, but in a smaller package. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Speaking of of which, if, if... At all possible, someone could have a talk with the worms that crawl into my office to die. That would be great. Oh. Because they don't smell good. Yeah, I have that same issue, actually, in my basement. It's like the worms think to themselves, well, (laughs) it's time to go. (sighs) And I know how I want to do it. I want to do it in a way that slightly inconveniences John. Yeah. Like every once in a while, I come into my office and I'm like, it kind of smells in here. I wonder, like, I guess I'm just a funky dude. And then I clean because, you know, it smells all clean. And then I'm like, no, it was all the goddamn worms in the corners. <laughs> I I look forward to all the emails that we're going to get about how the fact that we have worms in our basements are symptomatic of some horrible disaster. Anyway, this next question comes from Kavita, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm a sophomore in college and I've been 18 for less than a year. First off, Kavita, no bragging. (laughs) Are you bragging just because it's just being young bragging to you now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't brag about being 18, okay? Don't don't come to me with your age. Yeah. You've you've already hurt my feelings, Kavita, and we're not even a full sentence into your question. Not since my daughter said that my mustache was a two have I felt 
so called out. <laughs> I've been 18 for less than a year and I've been excitedly and not so patiently waiting till the day when I can vote and I very much plan to do so when I get my mail-in ballot. Yet still, on every social media platform I use, they keep telling me to vote. I understand that it is important to reach the young people and whatnot, but it's getting quite annoying. How can I make it known that I am going <laughs> to vote so that the FBI agent who is watching over me and presumably personalizing my ads for me sends <laughs> other ads my way? A newbie nerd fighter, Kavita. Oh, boy. Uh, this is so just as an example, I recently bought a Chevy Volt, John. I went ahead and did it. Congratulations. I got a 2000. I got a 2015 Chevy Volt. It hasn't arrived yet, but it's on good. its way. It's a good year. And uh, yeah, no no recalls on that one. And Yeah, it's good vintage. I uh, am still getting ads for Chevy Volts. And I'm like, look, like I know these aren't cheap ads because car, a car is a big purchase. And so these are expensive advertisements. And like, like if you are so all-knowing, internet, notice when I buy something and stop because yeah. I'm not getting another Chevy Volt. This reminds me of my all-time favorite tweet from April 6th, 2018. Some would argue the peak of Twitter. <laughs> Written by someone named Jack Rayner. Dear Amazon, I bought a toilet seat because I needed one. Necessity, not desire. <laughs> I do not collect toilet seats. <laughs> I'm... <laughs> I'm not a toilet seat addict. <laughs> no matter how temptingly you email me, I'm not going to think. <laughs> oh, go on then. <laughs> Just one more toilet seat. I'll treat myself. <laughs> oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, like they, the, the ads are so good. You know, they're so perfect, except when it comes to knowing that yeah. like, me buying one toilet seat is actually sure evidence that I am no longer in the market. Yeah, yes. And I'm not going to be in the market, hopefully, for many years. But Kavita, we have no idea. We have no idea if you're going to vote or not just by your social media profile. And that's good. Right. This is good. We want to live in a world where the government and the social media companies don't know whether or not we're going to vote. Boy, do we. But yeah, so so you you are experiencing us trying to reach or us. People trying to reach people like you. And uh, and there are other so, people so, like you who are not uh, made up their mind about whether they're going to vote or they don't have a voting plan. And so we have to. And so they're going to continue to try to reach them. I know it's annoying. It will end. It will end in less than a month. But in the meantime, maybe if you can take the opportunity to try to make sure that people who maybe aren't seeing those ads or aren't affected by them mm -hmm. also have an opportunity to vote. This next question comes from Yvette, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm a high school government teacher. Yvette, thank you. While we're talking about voting, high school government teachers are incredibly important to the future of our country. Or another country, if you live in a different country, Yvette. I don't know why I presumed you were American. <laughs> but anyway, thank you. Occasionally, my students will ask me a question that both makes me marvel at their curiosity and also makes me question everything around me. The other day, a student asked me if humans will one day run out of dirt. I, of course, had no idea how to answer this question and told them that I would get back to them ASAP. Soil and Soylent, Yvette. Oh, well, um, I mean, in some ways, yes. Yeah. And in other ways, no. It depends on what you define as dirt. Right. So he here is a situation. Um, topsoil is 
renewable. Like it, like it is a, it is a, a thing that is created by the biosphere and geosphere of Earth. So it is, it, it is something that, you know, is is constantly being replenished, and there is more and more of it. However, at the same time, various agricultural techniques decrease the amount of topsoil. That topsoil will, will run off. And right now we are kind of using it in quotation marks. It's not like it gets like sucked up into the plains and we eat it or anything. It's just like through the process of agriculture, there is less and less topsoil when you do certain kinds of agriculture. We are using it faster than it is replenishing itself. It takes a long, it's surprising. It's Dirt is actually very complicated. It takes a long time for dirt, uh, especially what we consider to be topsoil, to uh, to be created and and kind of create itself because it it needs like dirt is more it's easier to create dirt when you already have some dirt kind of stuff like that and so this is a concern the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization has warned that like we could run out of topsoil in the next sixty years that affects how water works it affects carbon dioxide absorption it of course affects how much food we can make great so that, sorry to give you another thing to worry about. Um, yeah, but. I didn't have that on my I didn't have that on my bingo card, um, but I'll be sure to put it on there. But there are, are a number of uh, ways to have topsoil reduction happen less. And I think that, you know, I think in the next in, in the latter half of my life, which I'm entering, that we will see a lot of new ways to make food that will be a lot more sustainable and, and might even open up some land that was once agricultural to being natural again. I disagree with the notion that you are now entering the second half of your life. What, because I've I entered it a little while ago? <laughs> well, because you don't know. It seems very presumptuous. That's <laughs> true. I mean, I it's just... possible you entered the second half of your life like six or seven years ago. It's true, John. Thanks for bringing it up. But it's also possible that you're not going to enter the second half of your life for another like 13 years. Yeah, but like, it's not possible that I'm going to enter the second half of my life in like 30 years. <laughs> I mean, it is possible. It's just it's, not, it's just very unlikely. Let's, let's be honest. My point is only that you don't know where you That's are right. in the timeline. I don't. Like, we don't know where we are in the timeline of our species. Oh, God. You don't know where you are in the timeline of your own life. Your country. We don't know. Yeah. We need to. Oh, yo, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> He went there. First he sells. Well, I mean, you went plenty of places first. You know what I was thinking about recently, Hank? And I don't want to take it to too dark of a place, but I was thinking recently that the last tweet, the last Facebook post, mm. and the last email mm -hmm. will almost certainly not be sent by a person. Oh, it's probably true, huh? Anyway, we got another question. This one's from Lydia, who writes, Dear John and Hank. Oh, God. Who had the idea for keys? Oh. I was thinking about keys and how cool they are, actually are and how, like, before them you couldn't lock your dwelling. Mm -hmm. I assume doors came before keys. So how did people protect their homes? Key in to know the answer, Lydia. Well, John, they had the... When do you think? Do you, can you give me, like, a rough, like, century or even millennia when you think keys happened? So I know that, like... A thousand years ago, if you lived in a French village, yeah, like one way that people would check in on you would just be to like lift up your roof, and they'd just like lift up your roof, and they'd be like, "How's it? How's it going?" And you'd be like, "Oh, pretty good." You know, it's uh, hey Jean Paul. Just another, <laughs> just another full moon here in ninth century France. 
So I'm going to guess that keys were invented. But on the other hand, like castles Mm -hmm. maybe had keys. I'm going to guess that keys were invented in the year 622 CE. 4000 BC. Oh, I was really close. I was on the right track. (laughs) Yeah, the oldest, the oldest key lock we know of is from Mesopotamia. So modern day Iraq. Mm. It had, it was a pin lock. It had, the key itself was wooden, but the pins were brass. And to make the key, you would cut, you like had an artisan that would carve the key. Now it's, it's wild to me that like locks happened in concert with civilization with like the first food storage, the first like concentration, like, you know, see like real, like leaps in concentration of power that happened in Mesopotamia. And uh, yeah. And, and before that your lock was just a, just a armed guard, but, uh, but yeah, they made a lock. Wow. And it, it worked and it's, it is, it is extant. Like it still exists. I've always said extant, but I think that either way is, is probably acceptable, which reminds me, actually, that today's podcast is brought to you by Keys. Keys. <laughs> There's one from 6,000 years ago that is extant or extant. This podcast is also brought to you by Fire. Fire! Look at me. <laughs> We're only having podcast sponsors today from, from the broadest possible. <laughs> Today's podcast is also brought to you by targeted toilet seat ads. Targeted <laughs> toilet seat ads. No, really, once I've bought one, I, I have the one that I need. And also, this podcast is brought to you by Vote. 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 Please vote. If we can get one email from one person yeah. who voted as a result of us asking them to vote, oh my God. I will be so grateful. Yes. Every email we get from somebody who's like, yes, that's like, that will fill my heart so much. That's like a day of life that we need right now. Yeah. I could, like, you will be the thing that makes our day better that day. Yeah. So if you don't have a plan to vote, make a plan to vote, if only to make Hank happy. <laughs> We'll be so happy. Make my day. We also have a Project for Awesome message to read. It's from Jared from Ohio to Dwayne, Christina, Jason, Kat, Adam, and Aaron. All three of my older brothers are getting married this year, so I guess they warrant a shout out. Congratulations, bros, to each of you and your wonderful brides-to-be on finding love and companionship. May you only grow closer as the years go by. Through thick and thin, may this new chapter of your lives be the best one yet. Also, hi, mom and dad. Wow. Hi, Jared's mom and dad. That's wild. That is that is wild. Three brother marriages. I hope that's all gone yeah. as as expected. I'm sure no hitches were in anybody's giddy up. I, I hope it's gone as well as, as... This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion... billion? That's a de- I checked that because that's a lot. Plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blue Land. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products. They have a nice 
design. I have them in my home. It looks nice on your counter. You fill the reusable bottles with water, drop in the Blue Land tablets, wait for them to dissolve, and you never have to grab bulky, heavy cleaning supplies on your grocery run ever again. And refills, because they're small and you don't have to ship a bunch of water across the country, starts at just $2.25. You can even set up a subscription or buy in bulk for additional savings. From cleaning sprays to hand soap, toilet bowl cleaner, and laundry tablets... Laundry tablets, everybody, you know what I mean. All Blue Land products are made with clean ingredients that you can feel good about. Blue Land is trusted in over a million homes, including, yeah, mine. Blue Land has a special offer for listeners right now. You can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss it. Blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. Again, blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off can be expected and safely. Yes, exactly. John, this next question comes from Aileen, who asks, Dear Hank and John, we commonly use water to make pasta, yeah. presumably because it's widely available Correct. and non-toxic. But is well, there another... that's not the only reason. <laughs> but is there another substance we could safely cook spaghetti in? <laughs> the stress is on the A and the E is silent. Aileen. Uh... Uh, yes. So there's a, yes. I can only think of it, two edible liquids that aren't water. Well, there's a lot of edible liquids that aren't water. And mm. you could mm. make mm. pasta with Gatorade. Well, you could. Gatorade is water. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not water. As, as right. anyone who's we, ever <laughs> drank both water and Gatorade can tell you. Okay, like, I, would, I, I would. I'm not a scientist, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that Gatorade is not water. Like when I turn uh, on the tap in my home, I, orange Gatorade has yet to come. I was, out. So I'm approaching this as a what chemist. You're saying, what you're saying is that it, the liquid is part Gatorade of Gatorade is, is the water. I agree with that in the broadest str- strokes. Yes. yes. Whereas there are there are two liquids that I could come up with broadly that are not made out of water. Milk. Milk is also made out of water. Okay. What do you got? There's oil, which is also in milk. Uh, so like like liquid fats. Uh huh. And then there's ethanol, <laughs> which is you know pure grain alcohol, Everclear is what we're talking about. And that that burns off pretty fast if you're trying That's, to boil this is, pasta. Yeah. With it. So I think that the, that it will it won't be possible to boil pasta. Did I say possible? <laughs> it, will, it will not be possible to boil pasta in oil. Yeah. And get pasta just because I think that because. Oil is nonpolar. I don't think that it, that it that the pasta would like dissolve in the same way. No, it, I feel like if you do that, you get deep fried pasta. That's how you get fried pasta. Oh dang! Deep fried pasta invented today. It's no, the new, it's I the did, potato chip clear, of tomorrow. I did, not that. I did not invent it. Oh shoot! I'm sure that it's been done a yeah, lot in a right. lot of state fairs around this great country. You're probably correct. Um, but but. I am more interested in in the ethanol question of whether I can have just like extraordinarily intoxicating noodles. Oh, God. Oh, that'd be so gross. And you are right that it would boil off really fast. Uh, ethanol is a really low boiling point. So you'd have to do you it. You would in a need pr- a gigantic vat. No, I think you need a pressure cooker in order to get the ethanol cooker. hot enough to actually cook it. Okay. You have to increase the pressure so that the so that the boiling point goes, the boiling temperature increases. Okay. And so you you need like a pr- a pressurized vat. The problem here is that do not do not do not do this with do a pressure with a pressure cooker in your home because that pressure cooker is designed 
for water. Don't do any of this. Alcohol <laughs> is super flammable. It is very this flammable. Is, everything about this idea is so bad. Like, yes, but there's no part of exploring this that should be done by anyone who does not have a PhD, not yes. just in chemistry, but in this kind of chemistry. Exactly. So I would like that person to make me booze noodles. No. No, I don't even want to put that person at risk. Listen, the, if, the, person, if you if you know the SOPs for how to get ethanol to a high temperature and pressure safely, put pasta in it for me. <laughs> Hank's given up on the whole thing about how he'll be really happy if you just vote. Now he'll only be happy if you find a way to boil noodles in pure grain alcohol. <laughs> But no, if, seriously, do not do this in a home pressure cooker because I'm pretty sure that it would create an explosion. So just for clarity, this, this is not like a, uh, wouldn't it be fun if we tried this? No, it wouldn't. But I do want a booze noodle. Okay, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I want to answer this question from Daniel, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I spend multiple hours a day listening to podcasts to help me cope with my anxiety, and recently I've noticed a theme of people cutting for an ad break, but no ads showing up. <laughs> I assume this has something to do with the pandemic and the recession, but does this mean my favorite shows are at risk of disappearing altogether? Pre-order the Anthropocene Reviewed book now. Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> that's very, that's a great, I really like your sign-off. <laughs> Well, first, you do not have to be worried about this podcast, uh, which is extraordinarily inexpensive to make. Also, the money that it makes, almost all of it, through Patreon and through advertising, goes to Complexly to help make stuff like Crash Course and SciShow and Eons and all those shows. Um, but the but yeah, so the way that this works um, is like a lot of podcasts have switched over to dynamic ad insertions which is how like YouTube ads work. And instead of uh, like baking the advertisement into the podcast, which is, th this is the case on our podcast, um, you like, we just sort of like stop and then we record advertisements at different times. And based on who you are, based on where you are, uh, or just based on whether we have an ad to sell that week, like oftentimes we just don't have, like the, our inventory is not 100% full, then uh, a, a piece of software will, insert an ad into the episode. And it seems to me that since that's kind of taken over, I've I've had more experiences of just not getting an ad. And what, what that says to me is not so much that like this podcast doesn't have any ads. It's that like they didn't have an ad for me right at this moment. And right. that's, prob that's probably okay. I think that the podcast advertising ecosystem, if you're worried about that, is mostly all right right now. There's definitely, there was a pullback in the beginning, um, but there's a lot of businesses that are sort of like trying to figure out how to adapt to a new moment and they have to communicate about how they might be changing or, you know, businesses that are well suited to this moment, they want to communicate about their services. So our experience is, is that the podcast business is not hurting too much right now certainly compared to a lot of other businesses. That said, Hank and I are considering buying out all the inventory on our own podcasts. <laughs> That's not a joke. I don't know I mean, if we're going to make it happen, but I, 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 do see why, yeah. I do see why you would want it to happen. It's an interesting idea. It's not just that I want it to happen. Like, I feel like people who listen to our podcasts want ads that are targeted to uh, them very specifically in the sense that they are about our work. Indeed. We hope yeah. to be able to do that at some point, but 
obviously like that's a lot of revenue that that's that's coming in that's supporting other educational yeah. projects at complexly so we've got to do it carefully but i really like the idea of only selling ad space on this podcast to um me <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens John, is it time for the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon? It is. Would you like to go first this week? I would happy. I'd be happy to do that. Uh, this many people thought this was going to be last week's Mars news, but it came in just a little bit too late. So, Mars, as you may have heard, John, two years ago, scientists reported that they had found a large saltwater lake under ice and Mars's South Pole. But we weren't sure exactly what it was, so researchers went back, gathered more data from the European Space Agency's Mars Express, which has like ground-penetrating radar that bounces off the surface, but also off of stuff beneath the surface of Mars. And by studying how those waves bounce back, we can learn what's underneath the surface of Mars, which is amazing. We use that on Earth all the time for lots of different reasons. Uh, find subsurface glacier lakes is one way. Like, we can find water that way. On Earth, we can also use it to for, like, mineral exploration kind of stuff. But from, from this, researchers were able to not only back up the 2018 discovery, but they found three more lakes. The lakes cover about 75,000 wow. square kilometers, the largest one around 70 kilometers across. So there is some a lot of discussion going on right now about what these lakes are. Are they actually lakes? Like there's still a little bit of debate about like what other things could represent this kind of finding, but it seems very much like this is water, like liquid water. There's also how are they liquid? Uh, because this is it's cold. <laughs> so either either it it may be some combination of warmth from geothermal activity, like maybe there was like some kind of volcanic activity that happened down there, warmed some stuff up a like a million years ago or something, and it still hasn't refrozen uh, because there's also all of these different salts in the in the water that raise the freezing temperature that lower that lower down the freezing temperature so that even if it is very cold, it is hard for it to freeze. Right. So uh, it is not it is not a good place to find water that astronauts would use because actually the frozen water on the surface is more pure than this water that would be, you know, mm. not, and it's easier to melt water than to purify it. Mm -hmm. But it might be a good place to look if you're going to find um, any signs of prehistoric life or even current they life. They could still have life going on down there. That's right. I mean, it would have to be very resilient to live at those temperatures and at those salinities, especially because this isn't like sodium chloride table salt, which is also hostile to life. But this is like even more hostile to life salts. Still, those are some big lakes. They are big lakes. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a, I mean, if you think about the way that we understood Mars, I know. at least the way I understood Mars when I was a child, and the way we understand it now, it's just mind-blowing. It gives me so much hope about the future. Yeah. Speaking of hope about the future, Hank, AFC Wimbledon uh, suffered their first loss of the League One season to Accrington Stanley, a team that we are better than but keep losing to. They've always been a team that we struggled against. No matter how good we are and no matter how bad they are, they always find a way. And I felt like, especially in the first 30 minutes of the game, we were playing so well. We scored a goal. Ryan Longman scored his second or third goal of the season. It was a beauty. And then we just, at the very end of the first half, we gave up two goals in quick succession and we were never able to play well in the second half, never able to get back into the game. Accrington Stanley killed time really effectively and we lost. So it's 
frustrating to go from one nil up to two one down. That said, there are still, I think, promising signs about this year's Wimbledon team. Like we look like we are playing as a team more. We look more effective in attack than we did last season. Like last season, whenever we would score a goal, I would think to myself, well, that was borderline miraculous Mm -hmm. or like, thank goodness for that random deflection. (laughs) And now I see actual plays, you know, like Mm -hmm. players running into space, passes meeting the players where they are. I see hope for lack of a better term. Wimbledon are now in 12th place in League One after four games. Obviously, it's still the beginning of the season. We've got uh, 42 games to go if we end up playing all the way through the season, which fingers crossed. But five points after four games and in 12th place, I will take that all year long, especially if the table freezes right where it is right now because Wimbledon would finish in 12th and the franchise currently plying its trade in Milton Keynes would finish in dead last. <laughs> oh, Lord, John. It's <laughs> a wild, wild story you've got us all invested in. It's crazy that they still exist even, let alone <laughs> that they're in the same league. Anyway, thank you for potting with me, Hank, and thanks to everybody for your questions. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We're off to go record our Patreon-only podcasts this week in Stuff, where we talk about something that is making us feel good right now, and that's available at patreon.com slash dearhankandjohn. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tunamedish, produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't don't forget forget to be awesome. awesome.